1: Roger, do you ever go back and
2: listen to our older episodes? From time to time with a critical eye trying to just improve our skill set.
1: Yeah, the critical eye because we've learned a lot over these two years. Sometimes you hear something up front in the first conversation you have with somebody and then you hear it again and it's repeated and there's been times where I'll hear something and an idea is presented in a conversation, mostly when we're interviewing somebody. And it seems crazy when I hear it, but they keep being repeated. So I recently re-listened to Rachel Zoffness, went back, and uh, she was the pain psychologist, episode 59. Dr. So, Rachel Zoffness. Yes. It was over a year ago. Great and, episode. Yeah. And in there, we were talking about the biopsychosocial contributors to pain and... In that episode, she said something that always stuck with me. And I'm going to quote her specifically, because I think we did a social media post about it. And it was, there is a healing mechanism in the brain. Why aren't we studying the shit out of that? And that was always like, what does that mean? At the time, it was one of the first times I've heard somebody speak of it. And you started talking about um, how in your meditation, you're reading a lot about this as another area, which seems fascinating to me. But then it happened again. We had Tanya Elfercian, I don't know if you remember her. It was uh, the medicalis- medicalization of menopause, perimenopause, episode 84. And she spoke of the struggles with symptoms that she was having around perimenopause. And she was kept being directed back to hormones as a solution. Uh, but then she spoke of her shift of consciousness away from stress towards joy and acceptance, almost healing herself overnight from night sweats, eczema, et cetera. And she said in there, our bodies are brilliant, and there's a divine intelligence within us all. And that seemed very spiritual to me at the time, but it was connecting to something else that we had heard. And then just last week in our last episode with Dr. Stillman, he talked about his business partner, Jim Laird, who recognized the conflict he was having in his life with his father that was causing colitis and when he forgave his father his colitis went away and my mind keeps being blown uh, because this keeps being repeated and it happened again today in this episode with our guest and I don't want to speak for you but so would you consider yourself someone who believes in the bio model of wellness
2: Yes, I'm going to add to it. I'm going to say bio, psycho, social, spiritual. Okay. So it's the, you know, interacting effects of all those would contribute to health and wellness. And I think where you're going with this, Sean, is, you know, as we introduce the next podcast, you and I had some concerns because it's certainly outside my purview, my area of expertise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we speak genuinely around the mental health field and we have opinions on culture, society and systemic problems that exist in our healthcare field. Yeah, But when it comes to psychiatric diagnoses, drugs, mental health treatments, I mean, that's my bread and butter. Yep, I've dedicated decades to this type of work and studying the literature and can speak pretty confidently behind a microphone and know that when challenged, I have the background knowledge and the evidence base to support my conclusions. When we bring on a guest that's going to talk about cancer, Mm -hmm. and as a non-medical professional, Mm -hmm. it certainly creates some level of anxiety in me. Okay, Because it's not my area of expertise, and these ideas are outside of the mainstream, really outside of the mainstream. And so when we start talking about the body's natural divine ability to heal itself... There's something in my heart and my soul that completely agrees with that. Mm -hmm. But yet, we still haven't evolved collectively as humans to even be able to acknowledge that fully. And we live under the control of an allopathic medical model. So, in no way do I want to suggest, right, that someone who might be suffering from cancer not seek out the best available treatments that exist in their country... And then take our discussions and accept them as fact. Uh, totally. I, right. I, so that's my, that's my concern. Rightfully so. But with that being said, I think in a radically genuine conversation, we're looking to kind of expand the conversation. And, and because and our outcomes aren't great in the yeah. treatment of cancer. And I'm, and
1: I'm glad you're going there. So if we can agree that the biopsychosocial model and spiritual, spiritual. Um, that they all kind of are components connected to wellness. So if we were to think about the conversation we had today with Danny Carroll, I would put him heavy on the psychological component to wellness, almost. And that's just my my takeaway. So, And I, I don't, I know, I don't want to give too much away because they're to about listen to listen to, to this. I, know. I
2: just want, I want people to understand. I don't want the emails coming <laughs> when a guest comes on. And I've read Danny Carroll's book, and yep. I thought it was fascinating, mm-hmm. and I thought he did a good job in this podcast answering a lot of questions. There are some unanswered questions, right? Sure. But I don't want somebody to say I was unethical by putting this person on and assuming that in every guest that comes on our, our podcast that is are my views. Yep. They're the views of, of the guest, and this is an area that I don't have expertise
1: in. Okay. So that gets me to this final kind of comment is you know, should we be limiting our boundaries to only socially acceptable topics such as pain and anxiety? Um, Or can we choose to be radically genuine and expand this conversation to include a wider range of subjects, even if it may be uncomfortable subjects like cancer? Yeah, this was an uncomfortable podcast. Because cancer has such a weight to it because we've all been affected with people in our lives who we've lost to cancer.
2: And imagine like childhood cancer. Yep. Right. If that, that was something I couldn't wrap my head around and I asked questions and I don't, I don't want to reveal too much about this upcoming podcast, but there was a point in this episode where I asked about, you know, what about childhood cancer? So um, do I believe we have an ability to heal ourselves through multiple mechanisms? Yes do i believe that there are natural interventions that are suppressed in american culture bec- or western culture all societies because of the the commodification of of, of mental and physical well-being mm-hmm. of course i do mm-hmm. right i think there there are centuries and centuries of wisdom uh including chinese medicine in which we were talking about last week with dr stillman yep. where there's so much more that's than what we're told,
1: yeah, right. And this is complex, totally, totally complex. And um, after the, I just did a quick search on uh, Dr. Hamer, who uh, Danny Carroll uh, studied the teachings of, and there's a, a quotation that I that helped me understand um, his belief structure. And it's this is from Dr. Hamer: the differentiation between the psyche, the brain, and the body is purely academic. In reality, they are one. Mm. So, I'd say with that, let's go into this conversation with Danny Carroll.
2: Welcome to the Radically Genuine podcast. I am Dr. Roger McPhilin. First, I want to thank all our listeners. Please continue to hit five stars whether you're on Apple or Spotify or whatever your app is. We've had tremendous growth. We're going to attribute that to the willingness of our fans to be able to spread the message, share the podcast. All of this is really, really important information that we are proud to be sharing. In a podcast like today, I am going to approach it with what they call a beginner's mind. So there's a great quote I, I love by Shanrui Suzuki. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. And I'll admit, I am a beginner when it comes to some of the, the science that we're going to be talking about today, the alternative viewpoints on something like cancer. I want to be very mindful that there might be people out there who are listening to this podcast who have lost loved ones from cancer and might have a lot of questions or emotions around this. I'm certainly not an expert, but I am trying to have radically genuine conversations and continue to progress the way that we think about health. And so today I want to welcome a very special guest who I found fascinating after reading his book. His name is Danny Carroll, who spent the first half of his life living in London in UK and was on the path uh, in economics. He graduated with a master's degree from the London School of Economics, um, and then he moved to live and work in India in the mid-1990s. Danny has spent the last 17 years studying alternative healing therapies in search of the holy grail of health and, and wellness. So I, a lot like me, I am just trying to, I am driven to try to determine how to create a life of value and purpose. And he's going to come from it from a different perspective today. Um, following a, a cathartic healing experience in 2012, he has focused on mon mind-body healing protocols for the last 10 years. He discovered a new body of medical knowledge called Germanic healing knowledge or Germanic new medicine developed by a German medical doctor named Reicherd Hammer. I think I'm pronouncing that correct. He has spent the last seven years using this medical science to help people with chronic and terminal health conditions to fully recover their health. So we're going to have a lot of questions and come with an open mind. We just finished reading his book, Terminal Cancer is a Misdiagnosis. It's Danny's first book. He plans to write 500 plus series of books examining how conventional medicine and Germanic healing knowledge approach the cause, symptoms, and solutions to specific diseases. He's a pioneer of new medical discoveries and healing protocols that are most are unwilling to explore and until they have no other alternative. In my own research, I've actually started to see that a number of the things he is talking about starting to make its way into some conventional oncology programs, which I'll mention a little bit later. hope everybody comes with an open mind. Danny Carroll, welcome to the Radically Genuine Podcast.
3: Thank you, doctor. Absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for hosting me.
2: Well, for me, this is about sitting back and, I think, listening. Um, I'll have my questions. I know Sean will have his questions okay. as well. But let's just start with, you have a yep. fascinating story that took you down this particular path, and I want you to be able to tell that story, and then we'll, we'll take it from there.
3: Okay. Um, so this leg of the journey essentially started in the mid-2000s. Um, so I live in, in Bonn. Um, I moved there in the mid-1990s. Um, I had a, a friend and a colleague, um, I think in about 2004, who was diagnosed with uh, with cancer. I don't remember exactly what type of cancer she was diagnosed with, but uh, at the time, she could not afford the cancer treatment. So I, I ran a marathon in Bombay, um, and I raised a lot of money for her cancer treatment. Um, and um, basically funded her cancer treatment and sadly ensured her compliance to the treatment so when she went into hospital um, I mean although they said she had cancer she looked she looked fit and fine to me and uh, she started chemotherapy treatments and she used to message me from hospital saying Danny I don't know what these doctors are doing but it feels like they're putting poison in my veins So I knew no better at the time, so I strongly encouraged her to continue with the treatments and she basically she had three rounds of chemotherapy and she died. Um, I was devastated because I both funded her treatment and ensured her compliance to treatment, so I felt a a great deal of responsibility for her leaving this earth, for it was her time to do so. She was only in I think early sixties at the time. So um, at the time I was, um, <clears throat> so I'm not a doctor. Um, at the time I was in uh, management consulting and asset management. And um, I was in my eh, mid, mid, early mid thirties. And I, uh, I said to myself, right, okay, um, I'm going to find a better solution to this problem we call cancer and I swore that I would search to the ends of the earth in order to find a better solution, which I've essentially done. Um, For the first seven years, I studied all forms of um, of both alternative and more mainstream healing modalities. I studied nutritional healing. Um, If you go online, you'll find a TED presentation I did in, in 2010. On nutritional healing, at that point in time, it was really the only viable game in town that I could really find. But I studied all many forms of alternative uh, healing, including emotional healing through an English healing system called the Bark Flower Remedies. Um, I studied energy healing. I studied spiritual healing. Um, I studied. I studied everything that had some form of promise to be the solution to the problem. Um, by the time I got to 2012, essentially I had very little confidence that I found the solution to really anything. Um, not sufficient confidence to... to I mean, the, the problem I had with all of these modalities was that you could have two people with the same diagnosis and put them for the same protocol, so the same uh, vegan program or the same um, emotional healing programs and One would live and one would die. Um, And regardless of how much I I dug into this to try and understand why, um, there was never any answers, right? It was, ah, you know, it happens. Some people live, some people die. And I wasn't wasn't happy with that as a response. So I continued my journey of searching for solutions. Um, In 2012, I had a cathartic healing experience, uh, for six months, my entire body was riddled with golf ball-sized knots, okay? My calf muscles, my thighs, my back, my arms. And I would go into physio, and the physio would iron out these knots. So I'd go in, and I don't know whether you've ever experienced this or not, but when the physio irons out knots and muscles, they basically they use their elbows like this, and they iron down the muscles like this, right? Um And uh, leave leave huge, great big bruises on your muscles. And I go back two days later, and the knots come back again, right? So I was on like this excruciatingly painful merry-go-round for like a six-month period. Um, My then girlfriend, um, who is a a, a US diplomat, was on a two-year posting to my hometown. And we basically agreed that it was in Santiago de Chile. Um so we agreed that uh, nobody in their right mind has a long distance relationship between South Asia and South America because that's just insane um, but we had a problem that um, we'd become soulmates um, so whilst we had originally agreed that uh, that we would terminate our relationship we got to a few days before she was due to leave um, and uh, jointly concluded that it would not be possible for us to terminate the relationship so we decided to embark on the most ridiculous long distance relationship in in the history of mankind between Chile and India which is about 10,000 mile in a 40 hour journey um, and uh, we, uh, we agreed that we would see if the relationship just fizzled out naturally and this was on Friday evening and when I woke up on Saturday morning um, all of the knots that had been in my body for six months previously, and up until the Friday evening, um, magically disappeared overnight. And, you know, poof, poof, gone. And I'm like, wow. I mean, I didn't, I didn't honestly know why they came, and I didn't know why they went. Um, but the only thing that, the only thing I knew was the only difference between Friday night and Saturday morning was the fact that uh, my girlfriend and I had agreed that we would not terminate our relationship and that was the only difference um, so i had a i had a I had an intuitive hunch that there might be a similar you know if my if i felt if my body could um, my mind could cripple me uh, literally i mean in mean, that six months I could barely walk let alone run um, so I had a I had a hunch that um, if my body, if my body, my mind could cripple me and then essentially give me back my health at a snap of my fingers, that there might be a similar type of um, mechanism between cancer and the body. Um, And I was planning to do a PhD, um, and I was looking for a university um, that had a medical specialization and a psychology specialization. And I was planning to build a bridge between them um, so I could explore whether this sort of mind-body link of cancer existed. Um, This this cathartic healing experience gave me very, very um, interesting insights into into the mind-body connection. Um, And in the process of looking for this university, I found this... German medical doctor, who essentially was a cancer research specialist, who was reported to have a ninety-two percent success rate in healing um, terminally ill cancer patients using a form of mind-body medicine. Okay, so um, my ears pricked up, and I'm like, and and I've been studying, I've been studying alternative healing protocols for many years, and one thing I'd learned is that the more success that alternative practitioners have, the more you'll find online them being defamed and, you know, he's a murderer or an anti-Semite or this and that and whatever. And, and I've never seen the amount of vitriol um, online ever before with this German doctor. Um, and this, this online vitriol to me had sort of become a lead indicator that, you know, the more vitriol there is online, um, you know, the more valued there is under the hood, essentially. Um, so I was very excited by finding this, this German doctor, and um, I've, I've essentially spent the last 10 years studying and testing his um, medical discoveries. I, I don't take anything, I don't believe essentially anything that anybody tells me, um, I have to prove it and test it for myself. Um, So what happened, the the, back story with this German doctor is uh, he was an internist, uh, a a, a research specialist, and he specialised in cancer research. Um, In 1978, his 19-year-old son was shot and murdered. And two months after his son died, uh, this doctor was diagnosed with uh, uh, a testicular teratoma which is an aggressive and fairly rare form of testicular cancer, um, with metastasis to the stomach. Now, he was given a 1% chance to survive. Um, He survived that because he essentially had surgery, but he didn't have chemotherapy or radiation, which I understand most medical doctors or many, many medical doctors don't. Um, So he had the surgery, and when he recovered his health, he was working... So he was the head of a gyneco- uh, gynecological oncology unit um, uh, for Tübingen University, which was a subdivision of Munich University in Germany. And um, he, he wanted to start, he had 200 female terminal or uh, um, cancer patients that are all, all in late stages of cancer. And what he wanted to do is he wanted to understand whether they'd gone through a similar life crisis or emotional trauma in the same way that he had before he got cancer. And, and basically, out of 200 women, 200 had. okay. So then, next step, he said, right, okay, let me start, let me start putting the same women with like, the same type of cancer into, into different categories. And what he observed is that the same women, um, all, of the, all of the women that, for example, had ovarian cancer, that all suffered from some form of profound loss in the same way that he suffered from a profound loss when he got testicular cancer. Or the women that had um, globular or mammary gland breast cancer, that all suffered from some sort of nest or care conflict, i.e. a conflict in the home. Um, they started seeing patterns in, in the, the types of life crises that, that, that these women had faced before they'd got these, um, these cancer diagnoses. So you fast-forward uh, 39 years of research with over 50,000, um, working directly with over 50,000 cancer patients. And what this, uh, this, this German doctor, his name is Richard Geert Hummer, um, what he basically discovered is that the tumor on his testicle was, um, was actually functional tissue and it had a biological purpose. Okay, so uh, it got something like this his 19 year old son was shot and murdered. He, his testicles started growing very fast. Um, what he basically learned from that is that the biological purpose of that extra tissue on his testicles was essentially to increase his sperm and testosterone production so that he had a, a greater capacity or a better chance of getting his wife pregnant so that he could replace the child he just lost. Okay. So, um, while, uh, whilst, whilst our, in our conventional system, um, medical doctors will say that you have abnormally fast-growing cells, which is absolutely correct, um, essentially, the, the part of the important, critical parts of the puzzle that is not understood is that cancer doesn't drop down out of the sky, you know, like a, um, a an event that that nobody knows what causes it or how it happens. Um, there is a very defining cause, which is a, a crisis that you face in your life, and nature is essentially responding to that crisis by increasing your capacity to help you to solve that critical problem in life. So in Dr. Hummer's case, his 19-year-old son had just been shot and murdered. Um, his, uh, his testicles started growing in size uh, abnormally fast. Um, and what nature essentially has done is increased his capacity to replace, to replace a child he just lost. Um, let's take another example of, of women, if, uh, um, a globular or a mammary gland breast cancer. If, if you look at the biological function of the, of the mammary glands, basically it's to lactate and produce milk. Now, uh, a woman will only lactate either when she's pregnant or when she's nursing, once she's delivered a child. Now, imagine a situation where you have a woman walking down the street with a friend with a five-year-old child the child's five she's not lactating anymore and she's not paying attention and the child runs out into the road gets hit by a car and ends up in icu okay now the breast is a nurturing piece of equipment so what will happen is when as soon as a child gets hit by a car nature will reactivate the woman's ability to lactate, essentially so that she can offer her breast to the child, to nurse the child back to health again. So she will immediately, or very soon after the child gets hit by the car, she will feel a lump in her breast. And essentially what nature has done is nature has reactivated the woman's ability to lactate so that she can convert that breast back into a nurturing piece of equipment so that she can offer a breast to a sick loved one and she can nurse the, the sick loved one back to health again. And once, the, once the, the sick loved one becomes healthy again, then the biological purpose of that program has been achieved and that biological program will switch off in the same way that it got switched on And once a child is healthy again, basically nature will remove that capacity in order for for her breast to go back to its normal capacity and function. Now, in today's world, when a woman gets a globular or mammary gland breast cancer, we will basically remove the woman's breasts um, and then give her chemotherapy and radiation. um, She will have a chance of surviving that uh, that. I mean, according to oncologists in Australia, um, death rate from women with breast cancer is around 98.5%. So she'll have a 1.5% chance of surviving that, uh, that, that protocol of treatment, where in reality all she really had to do was offer a breast to a sick loved one, nurse that person back to health again and the uh, the biological program would have in fact just been switched off now dr hummer basically once he understood these fundamental connections essentially what he has done is unraveled biological code so he started with cancer um he has identified the cause the life crisis of every form of cancer that 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 we that we experience today what causes it, what happens, what the purpose of the biological purpose of that program, how the capacity is increased, how you essentially solve that problem, and then the journey you have to go on in order to get back to what Dr. Hummer described as a situation called homeostasis, which is basically your natural capacity. Um, And he's mapped that entire journey for every type of cancer. Now, when he... Completed mapping that process for cancer, he then proceeded to unravel the cause of uh, all of the subjects that you're passionate about, doctor, in terms of depression and suicide and all of the mental related issues. So he has unraveled all of the causes of um, schizophrenia, bipolar, um, autism, even things like Down syndrome. Um, and basically what you need to do in order to go through and solve those problems. So essentially, he has unraveled biological code. Now, the problem with his discoveries is that he estimated that when his discoveries are allowed to surface, that uh, 95% of all of today's symptomatic treatment protocols will become obsolete. And that's not only in conventional medicine. It's also in alternative medicine. If everybody understood how to heal themselves, then there essentially would be no need for a, a medical system, or at least not in its current form. You'd only need a medical system that essentially looks after car accidents and stabbings and gunshot wounds and emergency uh, emergency protocols or cosmetic protocols. Um, all of the disease-based protocols, the cancers and all of the uh, mental uh, uh, based protocols would all essentially become obsolete. Um, so, because of the fact that uh, his medical discoveries essentially have the potential to destroy a multi trillion dollar industry, which is what the healthcare system is today, um, uh, he spent, uh, I think, two and a half years in prison. Um, he had um, 12 attempts on his life. And they tried to put him in a mental institution seventy-five times, in order to prevent him from spreading these medical discoveries to the to the world at large.
1: Did you say seventy-five That's times? That's the summary, really. Seventy-five times.
3: Seventy-five times. Seventy-five times. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, Correct, Sean. No, I I, I appreciate the summary um, of the, the history behind this, but I was. I was approaching this from um, almost like a skeptic's point of view, trying to imagine what our listeners' questions would be, and especially from some females. So when you brought up the breast cancer example, I've also heard stories about during times of of famine or starvation, a woman's uh, breast can start lactating again to feed their children.
3: But, That's right. You yeah, know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nest conflict to feed the children, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, but then there's these, this question of the, the gene and the connection to cancer, which is always out in the news now, the BRCA. I think it's called like the BRCA gene, where a lot of women are now getting genetic tests because of, um, that that gene would either increase or decrease their likelihood of possibly getting breast cancer in life. I think it's the BRCA1 and BRCA2. I'll put a little link in our summary. What would the response be to yeah. that type of um, kind of perspective or approach to it?
3: Yeah, I mean, genes don't cause cancer, right? I mean, when, when you have a when you have a life crisis or an emotional trauma. Um, these biological programs that essentially run in our subconscious minds, right? You don't mm-hmm. sit there and say, oh, okay, I've got a nest conflict, or my son just got hit by a car and ended up in ICU. So I'm going to switch on my ability to lactate. You don't do that, right? It doesn't work that way. All of these programs run in your subconscious mind. And when you, um, it, what, what Dr. Hummer concluded is that every single biological change we experience is part of a survival biological program nature wants us to survive okay so everything every Every single biological change, whether it's going into a suicide constellation, whether it is a breast cancer, or in Dr. Hums' case, it was a testicular cancer, so that he could essentially reproduce, Um, wants him to survive, right? He's lost a child, so nature wants to provide him the ability to replace that child. The genes do not cause, they're not the cause of the problem. They're just a part of the process. Okay. Now the thing that's the, the thing that's guided me, Sean, let me let me give you a let me give you a, a bigger picture so I can put this in context. Sure. Okay. In business we have a simple philosophy that you can never solve a problem by addressing the symptom of the problem. If one of your employees in business came up to you and said, Sean, I've been trying to solve this problem and I can't solve it, I give up. And Mm -hmm. you're saying, right, what have you done? And you say, well, all you've been doing is looking at the symptom of the problem. You can never solve a problem by looking at the symptom of the problem. You can only solve a problem by addressing the cause of the problem. And when you address the cause of the problem, you can permanently solve that. I mean, that's the first thing that's drilled into you when you're in strategic management consulting yeah. and those type of industries I, remember I spent my life working in right it now. It
1: was called the, the fishbone analysis. Yeah. That was a common thing. Yeah
3: in I mean you, it's an input process output right you have an input that causes a problem it goes for a process and then you have a symptom that comes out of it right so in in health terms the way the way that we function in terms of input, process, output, or in terms of the cause of a problem and the symptom of the problem, essentially, is that we have a, So let's take Dr. Hummer's case, or let's take the breast cancer case, right? Because you asked about the breast cancer and the gene, the BRAC2 gene, okay? The, The woman's walking along the street, and the child gets hit by a car and ends up in ICU, okay? That's a life crisis. That's the cause of a problem. OK, now that cause triggers a biological response, a survival response to help the mother in order to solve that problem. OK, so what happens is the child gets hit by a car. It ends up in the child ended up in ICU. The mother then uh, that day, the day after, two days after will feel a lump in her breast. OK, that lump is essentially nature saying, right, OK, you have a crisis. Your son is now in ICU, you need to have the ability to nurse so that you can nurse your child back to health again because when we used to live in a cave and in our evolutionary process, the breast was the only tool a woman had in order to be able to nurse a sick family member back to health again. Okay, So nature will reactivate that gene, that BRN, ca2 gene in order for her to be able to, to restart lactation outside of the normal lactation cycle you know in the ordinary course events she can only lactate when she's when she's pregnant or nursing right so she's well outside of that cycle so nature says right you need the ability to be able to nurse again so you can get your child back to health again it's a survival function If you nurse, if you understood how it worked, you nurse the child. And once the child gets back to health again, that function is then no longer required. But in nature, will switch it off and remove that extra capacity. Okay. now along that journey, the gene will, in medical terms, mutate. Right. Because it will go from from uh, from not being able to lactate to being able to lactate, which is what we call globular or mammary gland breast cancer right Right. but that that is that that gene will change with the trigger so the child getting hit by the car is the cause of the problem the processing for that problem happens in the brain and the organ is is purely the symptom it's merely the outcome of that program okay in the same way in dr hummer's case his son was shot and murdered that, that crisis in his life triggers his brain. His brain says, right, okay, you have a crisis. And then it sends the instruction to the testicle to increase its size and capacity so that he's got a better chance of replacing the child. The testicle is the symptom of the problem. You can never solve a health problem by addressing the symptom of the problem. What he, If he'd have known at the time what he would have needed, to, if he'd have got his wife pregnant, then he would have essentially... Fulfilled the biological purpose of that program, and then that program would have been switched off because it's achieved what it set out to to achieve. The extra capacity would have then been removed. So, if we look at any problem at at the organ level, the organ level is only ever the symptom of the problem. The life crisis causes the change in biology, which is processing the brain, which the brain then sends the organ the instructions of of of, um, of how to increase or decrease its capacity based on uh, the, per- the biological purpose of that program right so let's, let's let's take extreme examples we have a we have a concept called phantom limb pain mm. okay you'll be familiar with this but i'll explain it for your audience okay i have a problem with my leg i have my leg amputated okay so i now have i have i have only one leg now After I have my leg amputated, I still feel pain in the leg that's no longer there. Okay, now you say to yourself, how can you feel pain in an organ that is no longer there? Okay, and that's ridiculous. And the answer to the problem is the pain is not in the leg. The pain is in the brain. Okay, so whether you have the leg removed or not, it makes absolutely no difference. So, if you have breast cancer and you have your breast removed, okay, it makes zero difference, no difference, okay? And we can see that even in in the existing system, we have a, a concept called recurrent breast cancer, okay? Recurrent breast cancer is where you get cancer on a breast that's been removed, okay? So, you have a mastectomy. The breast is removed, and then you still get cancer on the breast after it's removed. Now doctors say, oh, maybe some cells are floating around in mm. this and there were some left and whatever, right? Not the case. You've had, a, you've had another nest conflict that's triggered that problem. The biological program runs in your brain, not in the organ. The organ is just the expression of the biological program. It's the symptom of the biological program. You can never solve a problem not in business, not in health, by addressing the symptom of the problem. You can only ever solve a problem when you address the cause of the problem. So if you want to solve health challenges by removing organs, essentially the only option available to you is to have your head cut off. Okay, (laughs) Now, that is not that, Sean, that is not ideal, and I do not recommend it. <laughs> Just saying, right? Yeah. Come on, we're being, radic- we're being radically genuine here, right? I am not recommending that you have your head cut off. But if you want to remove organs in an attempt to solve problems, is the only option, right? Because this is where processing happens in the brain. The organ is just a symptom. So if you have ulcerative colitis and you have your colon removed, you will still experience colon cramps in your colon, even though you don't have a colon anymore.
2: All right, Danny, let me it, jump in it here. It doesn't
3: solve any it doesn't, yep. it doesn't solve any problem.
2: All right. Danny, I'm gonna have to be coming in, doctor. Yep, I'm gonna be skeptical. I'm gonna challenge you here, but I want to make sure I get everything right. So cancer 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 cells are a evolutionary biological adaptation to serve us. Fair?
3: Nature never goes wrong. Okay. Doctor. Nature when your lifetime will never make a single mistake.
2: Okay. So then if those cancer cells then would we would not be treated, right? What would be the natural process of of cancer if it didn't undergo what are the traditional treatments?
3: So you're, you're still you're still your question Is framing you're still putting cancer, cancer cells, you're still putting cancer through a filter of disease. Okay, Okay? it's not a disease, it's a we we have we have fundamentally misunderstood what cancer is. Okay, the doctors say, Oh, you've got abnormally fast growing cells. Correct, Dr. Hummer had abnormally fast growing cells in his testicle. Right. And if you're if your child gets hit by a car, you get abnormally fast growing cells in your mammary gland, in your breast. Okay, Now, doctors think that the abnormally fast growing cells are abnormally fast growing because they're broken or they've gone wrong. Okay, They think that the cells are broken and gone wrong because they don't understand, number one, what caused the problem or what the purpose of those abnormally fast growing cells are. When you understand what causes the problem and what its biological purpose it is, then it is no longer a disease that is gonna spread around your body and kill you like some invading army of, of, of soldiers inside you. It doesn't work that way. All right, so okay cancer gets
2: but what all right, what would be the biological purpose of like a, a two-year-old who has cancer?
3: So you can uh uh yeah, we can experience trauma um, in the first trimester of pregnancy, okay? Let, let's, Dr. Hummer spent the last seven years of his life helping children with Down syndrome to, fully re- to pull out of Down syndrome and fully recover their health, right? So how did he do that? When a child with Down syndrome was born, Dr. Hummer took a brain CT scan to find out what part of the brain had been affected, and discovered that essentially with children with Down syndrome, basically what he what he found is that the hearing centres, which is just just above your ears here in your cerebral cortex, basically, both had been shut down. Okay. In the first trimester of pregnancy. So Dr. Hummer then basically spoke to the mothers of these down of these children with Down syndrome. And the, the hearing center is a hearing conflict, right? So basically, what he said, right, what, how, what loud noises were you, were you exposed to? So he, what he discovered is that in the first trimester of pregnancy, if a woman gets exposed to loud noises that a fetus, that will put the fetus essentially into fight or flight, okay? So what will happen is, so one mother said, oh, I was constantly surrounded by the sound of chainsaws. Okay, now the sound of a chainsaw to a to a developing fetus in the first trimester of pregnancy is essentially the same as you having a lion standing behind you roaring, right? Okay, that will put the fetus into fight or flight and it shuts down the hearing center. If both hearing centers are shut down, what it essentially does is it retards the development process, which is why children come out with round face, round eyes, because their development is retarded from the first trimester of pregnancy. So you can, you can experience trauma as, as, as early in your development process as your first three months as a fetus. So with children, children experience trauma. Children so, can sit there or they can watch their parents fight or they can experience trauma exactly the same way week. They can have childhood vaccinations. Dr. Hummer discovered that, that autism, for example, okay? The autism is caused by an experience uh, we, all, we all think that autism, when we relate autism to vaccines, that we think that it's the poison inside the vaccine that causes the problem. Okay. What Dr. Hummer discovered again, it took brain scans of children to discover how their brains have been impacted. And what he discovered is that autism is, in fact, caused by an experience the child goes through where they are simultaneously scared out of their wits and very angry. Okay. Now, when you put this into context, if you've got a one-year-old, an 18-month-old, a two-month-old child that's like a foot tall, and you have a six-foot doctor in a white coat coming at you with a needle, it's, for us, it would be like a giant coming at us with a, with a blade or an axe coming to attack us, right? And it's that scare fright, and anger conflict that essentially, the scare fright affects the larynx here. And the anger conflict affects the stomach, which is basically why uh, highly autistic children, basically, they're, they're, they're often incommunicable. They don't talk and they don't make eye contact. That process is in, in, if it's caused by a vaccination, a childhood vaccination, for example, basically, it's not the poison inside the vaccine that causes the problem. It's the vaccine experience that scares the pants off of these babies and makes them very angry because they're sticking a needle inside, inside their bodies. And sometimes it's three, four needles at a time, both legs, both arms. Bang, 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 which makes the child angry and it makes them scared. And this is what triggers what Dr. Hummer called autistic constellation. All
1: right.
3: Now, that autistic constellation can be healed.
1: I got a I got a follow-up question. Kind of in the same area because my my brain's spinning right now. Um, <laughs> the, my brain's been spinning <laughs> for the last 10 years, Sean. <laughs> yeah. What about um, environmental factors that could be causing cancer? What is the biological response that is causing that to happen if we're saying it's caused by an environmental factor? Like, chemicals or exposure to leaks, what's, what's going on there? No so,
3: connection? uh, yeah, no connection, no. Um, in, in, in the Germanic healing knowledge or Germanic new medicine, there are five biological laws of nature, which apply to humans, animals, and plants. And basically the first rule of Germanic healing knowledge is called the iron rule of cancer. In the iron rule of cancer, cancer can only be caused by what Dr. Hummer called a biological conflict shock or what we know as emotional trauma or a life crisis. There is no second cause of cancer. No smoking, no environmental chemicals, no chemicals in your food, no cell towers, no cell, cell phones, no nothing. Okay. Now, those things, Sean, can make you sick, right? So radiation, for example, kills cells, Mm -hmm. okay? Or if you put chemotherapy inside your body, which essentially is mustard gas, right? It's going to make you very sick, and your body will do everything it can in order to evacuate that poison from your body, vomiting, loose motions, etc., etc., because it will make you very sick, but it does not cause cancer. Cancer is a survival biological program that can only be triggered by a life crisis. End of discussion.
2: Okay, so then this is very controversial understanding. Come on,
3: fight, fight me, doctor. Come on.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I said I was coming in this with a beginner. Come on, we're out. Right. Um, (laughs) So the. I'm still a beginner. Just FYI. The the role of the of the immune system. Right. So one of the ways that I guess I've thought about this is epigenetics and our entire lifestyles would influence the development of disease, but you're telling me that cancer is not a disease. So it kind of stops the conversation right there. Then I want to know more about the, the, the healing of this. So are we just are we just getting it wrong that when we see these constellation of cells, That the response to it should be completely different than what our medical system in the manner in which we're responding. And so what is then the path?
3: Absolutely. So I mean, let's let's take let's take different types of cancer so you can start to sort of pull it together in terms of this biological survival program, right? Each 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 layer, each germ, each cell in our body, or each germ layer in our body acts in a similar way to a woman's menstrual cycle okay if you look at a woman's menstrual cycle tissue is added to the walls of the uterus in order to facilitate a pregnancy if she doesn't get pregnant the the extra tissue that's been added is removed with bleeding in order to evacuate that extra tissue so the way it works it's tissue plus tissue minus tissue plus tissue minus now you get into the when you get into the detail we have we have different what we call germ layers and now we're really getting into the weeds which is basically our survival germ layer which is called entoderm and then we have um uh, a mesoderm germ layer which is essentially our bones our muscles and our cartilage and then and the outer layer of skin the dermis uh, the inner layer of skin the dermis and then we have something called the ectoderm germ layer which is our outer layer of skin uh, the epidermis and various uh, tubes and and arteries, etc., inside our body. They, the ectoderm goes tissue minus tissue plus. The 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 endoderm goes tissue plus tissue minus. So, increased capacity, reduced capacity, reduced capacity, increased capacity, and this is the way all of our cells work, right? So, let's take let's take something like colon cancer, okay? Colon cancer um or rectal cancer is caused by what dr hammer called an ugly or a shitty conflict okay that i can i can i can either i can't digest it or i can't absorb it so let's say example i'm fighting with my family over over inheritance okay and the fight goes on and on and on and i can't i can't solve this problem what's going to happen in in this so that's an ugly or a shitty conflict, okay. In this particular, in this particular situation, what's going to happen is I'm going to get extra tissue added to my colon. Okay. And the biological purpose of that is to help me to either digest, better digest, or better absorb the conflict of the fight I'm having over this inheritance. Right now, I resolve that. We come to a family settlement and we resolve that 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 conflict that's that, over the inheritance. Right, right, you have this, I'll have this, you have this, I'll have this. Right? Once we resolve that conflict, in the same way the woman's menstrual cycle works, so in the first part of the biological program, tissue was added, and in the second part of the program, tissue is removed, okay? And tissue is removed with bleeding, okay? Now, once I resolve the inheritance dispute, I no longer need that extra capacity to help me to digest or absorb that ugly or shitty conflict, as Dr. Hummer described it. So, what happens is the extra tissue that was added to my colon will now be removed. Okay. When that tissue is removed, number one, I'm going to get stomach cramps. Um, uh, in this that would be described as ulcerative colitis or irritable bowel syndrome and basically what will happen is i would that tissue will be removed with bleeding so i would then start experiencing blood in my stool okay now what happens with most people what is blood in the stool in the same way you bleed a woman bleeds from her vagina when the tissue is being removed, if she doesn't get pregnant, the tissue is removed from the colon, and then you start experiencing blood in your stool, you know, whether it's from your anus or whether it's from your vagina. Essentially, the process is diff- is exactly the same, right? The tissue is added, it's removed with bleeding. In the colon, tissue is added, it's removed with bleeding. But then when I start seeing blood in my stool, if I don't understand what's happening i'm going to freak out and then i'm going to go to the doctor and a doctor and say oh let me do a biopsy you've got colon cancer i need to remove your colon or surgery or chemotherapy or radiation and all of that stuff if you had allowed that extra tissue to be removed via bleeding understanding that it's part of the healing process of getting you back to homeostasis in the same way that the vagina bleeds on a monthly basis when you're removing tissue from the from the uterine walls, if you'd have understood that, that tissue would have been removed, that bleeding process would have completed after that tissue would have been removed, and the program comes to an end, you are back to homeostasis or your standard level of capacity that you need in order to digest and absorb shitty or ugly problems. And that's essentially it.
2: So, Dan, it seems like the the role of fear is really critical here because when we do experience symptoms, our tendency is to get really nervous about that and uh, go seek out medical professionals. And from reading your book, it's almost like what you're saying is the response from the medical system will provoke a fear of death in itself that creates a conflict that is problematic to our health.
3: Absolutely. So if, uh, if I go to the doctor and the doctor says... Oh, you have colon cancer. We need to start surgery, chemotherapy, radiation within the next 24 minutes. Otherwise, you'll be dead in three months. Basically, what that does is it essentially creates a fear of death. A fear of death, essentially, when you fear dying, what happens is that triggers what we know as lung cancer. Okay. So, when you fear dying, oxygen we can only last a few minutes without oxygen right so when we fear dying what what our survival biology does is it adds capacity to our lungs to increase the alveoli to increase our ability to be able to process oxygen so we don't die okay so it's the diagnosis process that triggers issues like very often like lung cancer because Fear is used as a tool in order to ensure compliance to the medical protocols. Okay, which then triggers further problems, and then that triggers then further problems. The chemotherapy um, basically ensures that we vomit and 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 everything is is expelled from our system. But the 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 liver, for example, um, whilst med the medical. Uh, Modern medicine believes that, that problems with the liver is caused by alcoholism. Uh, it's not. What Dr. Hummer concluded is that the main body of the liver is affected by what we call a starvation conflict. Okay. One of the one, of, the liver's an extraordinary organ, right? But one of, the, one of the key functions of the liver basically is to produce digestive enzymes so that we can digest our food so that we can survive. If there is a chance that we're going to starve to death, what happens is the liver increases in size to give us a greater capacity to produce the digestive enzymes so we can digest our body resources so we don't die. It's all based on survival. If you go to Africa and you see the little children who are literally starving to death, when you see their distended stomachs, that so basically they are distended from the top of the stomach. And not the bottom of the stomach, and that is essentially where the liver has grown in size in order to increase its capacity to produce digestive enzymes to stop you starving to death okay then once you no longer have a problem of starvation and start the the, the problem of starvation is emulated essentially or triggered by chemotherapy because you 're vomiting or have loose motions, and your body's throwing everything out that, that it can expel, which means that you're not getting any food in your system, which tells your subconscious mind that you're starving to death, and then it triggers liver cancer. So, I mean, oh, uh, the, 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 the cancer soldiers have swum through the blood or the lymphatic system and swum over and morphed into a liver cell, and now of creative cancer in your liver i mean it's 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 alice in wonderland type explanations
2: okay so what you're saying then is in order for the individual to move towards health it's like turning that system off right but in order to do that you have to resolve the conflict that might be contributing to it or the problems that might be contributing to it and here's my concerns. So I'm a clinical psychologist and my experience with human beings are is they have a profound capacity to be able to deny or uh mm-hmm. or to actually uh, have blind supp- spots. To suppress yeah. even what those mm-hmm. conflicts may be. So we're, so how many people mm-hmm. would I think what you're saying is there has to be some form of intervention, health intervention, that allows them to resolve that conflict. But there's a lot of people who deny that there's a conflict that exists or wouldn't even be aware of it based on the manner in which they even cope.
3: Well, it's not, it's not, only, it's not only the human human ability to deny a conflict. Um, many many um, traumas that we go through are buried in our subconscious mind and are not accessible to to our conscious mind right now doctor think about it right if we had if we had every emotional trauma we'd ever gone through accessible to our conscious mind so we remembered every day every single trauma we would ever gone through we would be miserable okay so the problem the problem is not only and, and oftentimes it's it's not the fact that that the person is in denial the problem is that the subconscious mind has buried it and we don't have access to it okay now when you get to the problem of denial you are again you're absolutely right if i if i if i take your brain scan and i say doctor you know you had you had a a childhood trauma of being sexually abused, and you turn around to me and say, Danny, that's a complete crock. I, I never had any problem being sexually abused when I was a child because your subconscious mind has buried it. I would turn around to you and say, well, it's on your brain CT scan. You did experience it. It's not a question of whether you did or you didn't. You did. The problem is your subconscious mind has buried it. Where so would this, where would this show
2: them. up on a brain scan? How would this be determined?
3: So, I mean, what uh, one of one of Dr. Hummer's extraordinary medical discoveries is that he's mapped the entire brain. So there are there are there are various sexual centers, whether it whether it relates to the sexual organs or whether it relates to different types of trauma. And so the 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 brainstem, the pons of the brainstem, essentially is all of our survival functions, our, our digestive tract, our lungs, our the body of the, the liver parenchyma, um, the survival function in the kidneys, the kidney-collecting tubules. So it, what, he's essentially mapped out the entire brain and which part of the brain manages which organs. Now, he's mapped that out, but he also mapped out the progression that we go through when we when we experience a certain type of trauma. We it leaves what essentially is a target ring. Uh, so if you imagine chucking a, a stone in a, in a pool of water, it creates those centric circles. So you can see on the brain, and the, the, the bigger the trauma is, the bigger the set of concentric circles are around that, around that, uh, that brain relay. And when you first experience it, the, the lines are very sharp, and you can see that it's a fresh trauma. Um, when, it, when it starts to go into healing, then it will have edema around the, these concentric circles because all healing can only happen in a fluid environment. So the, you get edema on the brain in order to heal this area of the brain that's been damaged as a result of this emotional trauma. And once the healing process is completed and it's gone all the way through, you'll see a scar on the brain. So you, you'll see your entire life history on a brain CT scan, if, if, if you could learn to read them, um, so let me ask you, most people cannot.
2: Uh, before I forget this, you, you, you cited a statistic in your book. Again, the book is terminal cancer is a misdiagnosis where oncologists 90% up to 90% if they are a, or a loved one is diagnosed with cancer will not choose chemotherapy themselves. Is that an That's accurate right. diagnosis? Is that well documented?
3: it is there there there, there was a um, a study done with oncologists um, i i i mean when you're down the rabbit hole doctor you you dig all of these we dig all of these studies out right um, a lot of them buried obviously if, if if everybody knew that doctors don't take chemotherapy then like if you don't take it why would i take it um, and thought i couldn't i couldn't i couldn't reaccess that uh, that study Um, But with my personal experience, I mean, I've got, I put, there's even one case study in my book in chapter seven on the, on the cancer research, where Dr. Hummer healed um, an oncologist in in France of a bronchocarcinoma without using chemotherapy. Um, And once the oncologist healed, uh, he went back to practicing with chemotherapy because that's the medical protocols right as in dr. Hummer's case I mean he had his medical license taken away because he refused to prescribe chemotherapy um, so you you know it's it's you've got to get on the train or you get off right so if you don't if you don't if you don't prescribe these then you get thrown out of the system as dr. Hummer was um, but this doctor in in chapter seven you'll read uh, dr. Schwarzenberg I think or you, you can you can put out the name in my book um, basically, he healed himself. Dr. Hummer helped him to heal him um, without using chemotherapy. And then he went back into practice and then started prescribing chemo.
2: So, you know, your book, it's titled Can- Terminal Cancer is a Misdiagnosis. And this is because a lot of this research is on those who have been provided a terminal diagnosis where they no longer have any other alternatives. And now it's like there's an openness yes. or a willingness to be able to to receive treatment alternatively. And I guess from a legal perspective as well, you know now there's just greater opportunities to try other things because they've already been provided the alternative diagnosis. And are, are you telling me that the, the treatment then there is more psychological in nature, more psychotherapeutic in which there's a emotional trauma that's being processed or conflicts that are trying to be solved that exist in, in their life? Or is it just the elimination of the fear of death Amongst other things, all combined.
3: So let, let's let's tie this back into your previous question about people denying the existence of a problem or not being able to access the problem because it's been buried in their subconscious mind. Um, the last seven years, I've I've been I've been helping, and I've helped hundreds of cancer patients. Right, the. Uh, the vast majority of those essentially had received a terminal diagnosis. Okay, I mean I'm not a doctor. I'm not. I'm not a doctor. Right. I'm some venture capital investor who has a hobby of uh, studying cancer um, and healing cancer patients. Right. If you get a diagnosis of cancer, do you go to this random? English French capital investor who heals cancer patients for a hobby in India, or do you go to the world's leading oncologist in Johns Hopkins, right? It's a no-brainer. But what happens is when people go through the medical system, once they get kicked out the other end, say, oh, sorry, nothing else we can do, get your papers in order to go home and die, then they come to me. Now, what my experience of this is that when people have been sent home to die, they become much more open to listening to alternative points of view, because essentially, in their mind, they're walking dead. Now, my ability to be able to help them is essentially determined in my first meeting with them. When they come to see me, they are more often than not in what we call a death trance, okay? The doctor says to you, that's it, nothing more can be done, go home and die, okay? if that person buys into that diagnosis, then they will die. It will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Okay? The fear of death will cause death. The fear of death will trigger the lungs to, the alveolar and the lungs to open up. The fear will trigger all, all sorts of problems biologically in order to try and help you to survive this fear of death crisis, right? So, if I get the, the my ability to be able to help that person is solely dependent on whether I can break that trance, okay? So what I will have to do is I will have to get their brain CT scan, look at all of their medical diagnostics, go through all of their blood tests, find out exactly what biological programs are running, and then, and then explain to them that this problem is caused because you had this life crisis And when I can start connecting the dots and piecing that together, they'll sit there and say, how did you know that? Because I've seen it in their brain CT scan, right? You had a trauma of being, I don't know, abused as a child or whatever it is that that affects that problem. Brain cancer is is an even more interesting one, right? According to Dr. Hummer, there's no such thing as brain cancer, okay? What is diagnosed as brain cancer is when you get that emotional trauma and then you get those concentric target rings, and the, you get the edema that comes inside those target rings, basically that is diagnosed as a glioblastoma, okay? According to Dr. Hammer, the, the neurons in the, set, in the brain don't multiply after birth, so they cannot qualify as fast-growing cells because they don't multiply. The only cells that multiply in the brain, basically, are called glial cells, which is a mesoderm germ layer that helps the reconnective tissue to repair your brain from an emotional trauma. So it's the it's the repair, the natural repair process in the brain that, that we get diagnosed today as brain cancer or a brain tumor. Okay. But so what I've done in the past, Doctor, is every time I get a every time I get a brain cancer patient come in, um what I do is I take a CT scan in their brain and I explain what caused the problem to break their diagnosis, if they don't believe me, and I say, right, okay, take your brain CT scan and go to five neurologists, but do not tell them the previous brain cancer diagnosis. Right? Just say, I've got a headache, blurred vision, whatever, right? In every single situation, when those people have taken that brain CT scan to these neurologists and not disclose their diagnosis, the neurologist would look at, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, no. no, you're okay. take a painkiller go home go to bed okay and they would never they would never they would never re-establish that brain cancer diagnosis okay i then send them to five more neurologists and say right okay now disclose your previous brain cancer diagnosis with the same tc same ct scan to another five set of neurologists and basically all of those five neurologists would confirm the previous diagnosis now these patients would come out and they go, okay, it's clearly these doctors have no idea what they're doing. Um, the brain CT scan was only, uh, only developed in 1978. Um, and according to Dr. Hummer, uh, medical doctors are unable to read brain CT scans. And I have personally confirmed that for myself. What I would then do is I would then use the brain CT. To be able to understand the life crisis that's caused their problem, and then start working with them to help them to resolve that problem in order to solve it. Sometimes it was successful, and sometimes it was not.
1: Uh, Danny, I got a question. Some people
3: can heal themselves, and some
1: can't. So, um, as as we've been speaking, an an idea popped in my head. It wasn't in your book, but maybe. uh, What are your thoughts? Is there such thing as preventive care in Germanic healing knowledge?
3: No. Okay. Right. Not really I didn't think no. so I, I mean didn't, I didn't think so uh, I mean so here, here's the thing Sean right i mean i I've, I've been studying this for ten years, say, oh danny, okay, so you don't have a, you don't have any health problems anymore, wrong, okay um, you cannot avoid conflict in life this is a this is a survival biological framework, okay that's designed to help us survive you you cannot avoid conflicts that will not trigger those programs in order to, to start running.
1: Can is it possible that you have a ability or a skill to resolve those conflicts much more easier on your own or to not get as distressed when oh, those yes. conflicts arise, thus preventing yourself from maybe having the you know the formation of cells.
3: Absolutely. Okay. All right. On the money, Sean. Uh, absolutely. So let's take let's take an example, right? Um, I mean uh, in 2019, I, I I got cancer in my jaw here.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: All of these teeth are false, right? These are all false teeth, right? I had cancer in my jaw. All my teeth fell out, and um, it destroyed half of my jaw. This was... So Dr. Hummer essentially has unraveled every cell in the body. If you get a cancer here, what causes it? If you get a testicular cancer, what causes it? So basically, I discovered that this cancer in my jaw was caused by a five second fight with my wife, okay that triggered this cancer that made it very, very difficult. It was such a fleeting argument fight, okay intense for a very short period of time. and um, it was uh, over American politics or something um, you know, as, as, as you do right? Like, turn that video off. Well, and she, and she never does that, right? So that triggered this this cancer. It took me. It took me over a month to find it. But the time I would found it and switched, I could switch this off. So I, I said, "You can use your conscious mind to switch these biological programs off." Right? That's another rabbit hole to go down. But so I said to myself, oh, "Okay, I know this cancer was caused by that fight with my wife when she screamed at me and this and, this, and, this, and this. So I switched this cancer off. Okay. In, so I've had tissue plus for a month. Okay, And that tissue has to be removed. This particular germ layer here gets gets the tissue gets this added, gets removed with something called T B microbacteria. Okay. So essentially what happens is this TB microbacteria, which is also horribly misunderstood by conventional medicine, I think is a disease where it's not. So I've had tissue plus now I need tissue minus. With tissue minus the T B microbacteria essentially rots that flesh and removes it, right? So I had the pleasure for four months of having the the smell and the taste of rotting flesh in my mouth and my sinuses whilst this tissue is being removed. But between the cancer and the TB microbacteria, as well as removing the tissue, it added all my teeth fell out, um, and it destroyed half of my jaw. So I then had to have a five-hour uh, reconstructive surgery in order to I had a bone graft, had my jaw rebuilt. I had to have implants in to put teeth back in because I had no teeth um so so yeah i mean the cancer i managed right i have i have friends who experienced the same problem and went to an oncologist and basically had half of their face cut out right and you have people that have got like all of this cut out or all of this cut out so if if you can't solve the problem yourself you're you're then only you're then down to the system doing it and they cut into deep tissue and they cut out half of the jaw. I did it myself, right? The cancer I address, rebuilding the jaw, I could not do. I had to have surgery to have that done.
1: Okay, so the one thing I'm I'm on board with um, is this idea that the body is always trying to return to homeostasis. Um, yes. And then the idea of um, in your book of of healing music therapy, like that made sense to me, right? If I can listen to Pantera music and I can get angry. Or I can listen to salsa music, and I can be happy. There has to be a music that will return my body into homeostasis. To homeostasis. Um, yes. So amazing. I'm trying. T- I'm trying to make this connection to. Um, uh, can you just share with our, our listeners about the uh, the music that goes into homeostasis? Um, the mind student matchkin. I listened to yes. it yesterday. Um, I had it on for like a half hour. It's beautiful music, but what kind of like pulled me away from it was when Dr. Uh, Hamer was, um, was singing in it. So I was wondering if there's certain tracks that, mm-hmm. you, um, that you maybe listen to or that is uh, more in that sequence that we could all kind of incorporate into our, into our daily lives.
3: So let's get a big back, bit of background. Um, there's, a, there's a music professor, uh, Dr. Giovanna Conti, um, who was working with Dr. Hummer um, in the 2000s with health challenges. What she, what she So in, in the Germanic healing knowledge, there's, there's the second biological law is called the two phases of healing. So when you go into conflict, what happens? And you go conflict, 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 resolve the conflict, healing, healing crisis. Healing, and it, it's, a, it's a chart, right? Where you can see a very clear picture of the chart. Doctor, uh, Professor Conti was um, carrying out a research project on music, and she realized that the pattern of many um, cl- Western classical masterpieces, Schubert, Mozart, all of those types, followed exactly the same pattern as Dr. Hummer's two phases of healing, okay? But that got her thinking. okay? So she then started studying patterns of music, which was one big piece of the puzzle. Then um, uh, in the, in the 1900s, um, music used to be tuned at A equals 432 hertz. Okay, that's essentially our natural healing frequency. Um, in the early 1900s, the uh, in the early two, early 1900s, the Rockefellers carried out research on music. Uh, frequencies and discovered that if you increase a from four hundred and thirty-two hertz up to four hundred and forty hertz, it has a number of effects, including making the worker bees work harder and faster. It also has a lot of negative health effects. Okay, now in net, net, cut this process, this lung process short. Dr. Hummer and doc- and Professor Giovanni Conti discovered that if you have music that's both written. Um, in accordance with this pattern which essentially um, is uh, is the pattern of the Fibonacci sequence or the golden ratio which you can look into in research mm-hmm. so if, this is a this is a godlike um, uh, pattern in nature that you see in waves and in sunflower seeds it's the circular process that goes like this. Um, it's called the Fibonacci sequence. If the music is written in accordance with the Fibonacci sequence and played at 432 hertz, it has extraordinary heating capacity. OK, now this was discovered partly by accident. One of Dr. Hummer's patients, his daughter, his seven year old daughter, uh, an Austrian girl um had chronic bronchitis for months and they, and they couldn't get rid of it. A father ordered one of Dr. Hummer's books that had his music on it, and this young girl basically listened to this music day and night for three days and she walked out of a bed- bedroom after three days in perfectly good health. okay. Dr. Hummer used this music therapy for healing children with autism and Down syndrome basically, to fully recover their health. And essentially what this does, when we have these, um, these uh, life crises, so in Down syndrome, the hearing conflicts that retard the development process okay, and shut down both hearing centres, what this music does is it downgrades those conflicts and it allows the child to come out of those conflicts and start developing naturally again. OK, so you, I, I had a I had a friend um, who had a four year old, um, highly autistic child um, who essentially was almost incommunicable and very angry. Um, I gave him this music and I said, try it. Right. I mean, I don't I hadn't really experimented with it very much at that point in time. So I gave him this music and he just he played the music quietly whilst the child slept. Um, and it can be barely audible. I mean, Sean, you don't have to listen to Dr. Doc- Dr. Hummer had many extraordinary talents um, and singing was not one of them, <laughs> yeah. okay? But however, um, the, what he discovered is the music with him singing had twice the effects in terms of healing than the professional choir version of the song, okay? so But you don't have to listen to it. It can be barely audible. Okay. I, I sleep at night time with it right it's free healing okay so i sleep every night with just this music playing very very quietly on the lowest setting okay so my friend who had a four-year-old highly autistic incommunicable very angry young four-year-old ended up with a five-year-old child highly extroverted fun-loving really i mean uh a a, a wonderful child within a year of sort of playing this music at nighttime and it has an extraordinary impact John and it can be whether it's in a terminal cancer patient or whether it's in a whether it's in a um an autistic or a child with down syndrome this music provides solutions for those problems um so if I have a if I have a if I have a if somebody's come to me for help. I don't call them patients, don't call them clients because they're not. Somebody comes to me for help. Even if I have problems being able to get the trauma to surface from the subconscious mind, I put them on the music and then it just helps to downgrade the problem and helps them to pull out naturally, even if they can't practically identify the trauma that's caused the problem. It's like the music solves these problems. It's, it's truly extraordinary.
2: Yeah, regarding this, and as far as kind of mainstream Western medicine knowledge too, this is a quote from the Director of Medical Oncology and Integrative Medicine at the Cornell Cancer Prevention Center in New York, Dr. Dr. Mitchell Gaynor. He says that if we uh-huh. accept that sound is vibration, and we know that uh-huh. vibration touches every part of our physical being, then we understand that uh-huh. sound is heard not only through our ears, but through every cell in our bodies. One absolutely. reason sound heals on a physical level is because it so deeply touches and transforms us on the emotional and spiritual planes. Sound can redress imbalances on every level of physiological functioning and can play a positive role in the treatment of virtually any medical disorder.
3: Correct. And that's absolutely, that's, and yeah, that's so. Sean, back to your question. I um, I only. I only use the song of Dr. Hammer singing with the cello, um, number one, because he said that from his experience, from, in terms of facilitating healing, that it had significantly breath, uh, uh, better results than the professional version, which was essentially at 440 hertz. Um, so uh, I assume that if other music has been number one, written in accordance with the Fibonacci sequence um, and played at 432 hertz, I assume it should produce the same outcome. Um, Honestly, I haven't had the time, space or energy to test other music. Mm. So I stick to this one song. I play play, it. I'm sleeping. Who cares? I mean, I'm I'm asleep anyway, right? So uh, no, I play it. I play it at nighttime. Dr. Hummer said that if you're in a very difficult situation, that you're better off to... To play it twenty four seven, I gave I gave the music to a friend of mine um, who had half of his liver removed, and basically he said to me when he exposed himself to the music, he didn't require any pain medication. Okay, as soon as he switched the music after the pain went whoop like this. So this music is extraordinary.
1: But before we run out of time, I do have some one final question, and it it's around the phenomenon of the placebo effect. So. The placebo, and I guess in my mind, it almost has like this negative connection where it's like unexplainable, it was nothing. So when a, when a person has the placebo effect or they go through that experience, it's almost like you're weak, you know, you, you, nothing was given to you, um, you just healed yourself. So my question is, could this be an explanation for the placebo effect? And shouldn't this be the desired response for everyone because it is so positive?
3: Well, I mean, uh, the placebo effect in many ways is is an explanation of the power of the mind, right? I mean, I think, therefore, I am. Um, I mean, you, you you must have seen many of these placebo effect studies where they give people chemotherapy tablets, right, That or they're told they're given chemo, and their hair falls out, right, and all they mm-hmm. have is a sugar pill. Okay, so, I mean, it, it's the... It's the power of the. It's that we we hugely underestimate the power of the mind, but when that when that power of the mind um, is directed, when you understand, if I understood, for example, that um, that you know, if I get a tumor on my testicle, all I have to do is understand that biological program and get my wife pregnant so I can replace the child I just lost. I mean, you you've got the power of the mind multiplied by knowledge right or if i had a if i had a mammary or globular breast cancer and i can work out the nest or care conflict that's caused that problem then you know i can use the power in fact what dr hamer discovered which is probably a whole nother discussion is that we can use our conscious mind in order to switch off these biological programs this cancer i got in my jaw here i switched it off right i said oh okay i know that i have uh, this cancer has come in my jaw because I had a fight with my wife over this at this point in time. Switch off this cancer, bang, and I just switched it off like a light switch. Okay, so the placebo effect um, is, is just, a, for me, is a, is a mere representation of the power of the mind that we are not using. But what Dr. Hummer, what Doctor Hummer's medical discovery, the greatest, the greatest contribution that he's made um, to the world is is essentially being able to identify the cause of a, life, of, of a, uh, a health challenge with a sniper's rifle. Right? This problem in my jaw was caused by a five-second argument a month ago with my wife. Okay? I know specifically what caused the problem and therefore how to fix it. Okay, and back to my original point at the beginning of our discussion, you can never solve a problem by addressing the symptom of the problem. This is the symptom of the problem. This is nature increasing my capacity to be be able to effectively evacuate something from that. I couldn't digest a problem that I couldn't digest. Right. So I can't solve the problem here. I can only solve the problem by the life crisis, by the cause of the problem. OK, you can never solve a problem by addressing the symptoms of the problem with you that being can only s- ever solve a problem. But the cause of the problem.
2: Yeah. With, with that being said, Sean, I'd like to apologize to you for, <laughs> for calling you dangerously naive on all those podcasts. <laughs> he thinks he's. Causing-
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's afraid he's the root cause of my cancers, which I haven't discovered yet. <laughs> I, I, I've, had this, I've had this conflict
2: that I think exists that I feel like I just have to get this off my chest. <laughs> so. uh, Danny yeah, I, mean, I this,
3: this, this, this body of knowledge um, is truly extraordinary. Okay? The place where I live, this beautiful place, where you have no fear of disease, right? Because I understand biologically what changes in my body, what causes that change in biology, what its purpose is, and how I can essentially address those problems. And I've, I've, had, I've had all sorts of horror shows, right? I've had, I've, I've had lung cancer and, and, and a collapsed lung. I've had testicular cancer. I've had jaw cancer. On my back at the moment, I currently have skin cancer, which is essentially caused by people stabbing me in the back, right? So I've, I've had I've had what was di- what was diagnosed as a, a brain hemorrhage. And I, I mean, I, I've had I've, uh, after COVID, I had bone cancer in my arm and rheumatoid arthritis in my left arm and uh, a collapsed uh, disc in my neck, which is an intellectual conflict. OK, I mean, I've had all all of the horror shows have all been sent to me, but they're sent to somebody, number one, who has the ability to solve those problems and um, who can use that learning in order to teach others, right? So, I mean, this, this the, the, thing that, the, the thing that people don't realize is that conventional medicine is a system of symptomatic treatment, but so are all forms of alternative medicine, okay? In nutritional healing, I'm detoxing the body, which is essentially the environment of the symptoms. In bark flower remedies, I'm, I'm addressing the symptoms of the emotions. In homeopathy or Ayurveda, I'm working with the environment of the symptoms. None of these, if I get breast cancer, if I have a, I don't know, a Reiki practitioner coming to do energy on my breast, nobody is saying, oh, okay, that breast cancer was caused because your child was hit by a car and nature has reactivated your ability okay, in order to solve a problem. Okay, If I get that breast cancer, then I'm going to go on a vegan diet and I'm going to do Reiki and I'm going to do bark flower remedies and I'm going to do all the things, right? Okay, None of it makes any difference because until the fundamental problem, my child got hit by a car, until that child recovers his health again, once a child becomes back to full health again, that biological program will switch off. But then I'll say, oh, yeah, it switched off because I went on a vegan diet or because I did Reiki or because I did homeopathy or I did all of this. makes no difference. It's a fundamental biological program unless you understand what caused it and what the what the what the journey back to homeostasis is and what you need to switch that biological program off, anything you do will make no difference whatsoever.
2: Danny, thank you. This has been an enlightening conversation. I think it's very thought-provoking. I think I have to sit with it for a while and even have some conversations with Sean about it. How can people find you?
3: We can, we can do it again, doctor. I mean, it's, you know, I, can, I can discuss these subjects for like a million. You want to do like a thousand podcasts. It's all possible. Right? <laughs> we, we can tell. Um, my, so my, uh, my book, uh, this is my book, Terminal Cancers and Misdiagnosis. This is uh, currently available on Amazon in um, Kindle version, audiobook hardback and um, paperback. Uh, my home base is my name, Danny Carroll with a hyphen, danny-carroll.com. Um, this is my home base. This is the first, This is an introduction to Dr. Hummer's medical discoveries. Um, there, uh, there will be 500 books, one on each disease following this. So this is saying, right, okay, this is new medical discoveries, and then you need a book to solve a specific problem. I've currently written four of those books one on uh, ibs and ulcerative colitis one on testicular cancer one on atopic dermatitis and one on breast cancer once the launch process for this book is completed probably from september onwards i'll be writing one book on every disease known a man and they're written so that anybody with no knowledge of the subject can pick them up read understand and absorb the content and they'll be on a tab on my website called the Healing Tribune. Um, It's a new media healing property I'm developing called the Healing Tribune and the tagline is the cause of disease made simple.
2: Danny Carroll, thank you for a radically genuine conversation.
3: 100%. Absolute pleasure, doctor. Anytime.
0: Listening to a podcast may be therapeutic, but it is not therapy. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional. If you are in a crisis or you think you have an emergency, call your doctor or 911. If you're considering suicide, call 1-800-273-TALK to speak with a skilled, trained counselor. If you found this podcast interesting, please share it with a friend, subscribe through your podcast app, and engage with us through our social channels. And if you are concerned about a friend or family member, reach out. The six magic words, I was just thinking about you, may make their day. Thank you for listening.